We're, uh, we're continuing our series, uh, There Will Be Giants. I promised you uh, we've already seen the best of David. Now uh, David's going to start to fall apart. And uh, this is something that uh, actually people love. We love this. Um, it's, it's not something that we should be proud of, but we do love, we, we rubberneck, right? When we, when we see an accident on the freeway, everyone slows down to look and see how violent and terrible it is. And then we say something like, oh, that's awful. But secretly in our hearts, we're kind of like, man, this is cool. And then we're like, oh, but I hope no one really got hurt. Uh, this is, is especially true with uh, celebrities and people who are famous. Uh, and so, you know, this week we heard that uh, Alec Baldwin, right, he, uh, there was an accident on the set and he shot um, with a, it was supposed to be a, a blank, but it wasn't, it was a live round and it killed one of his assistant directors and injured the director of his, his film. And, uh, and we're all pretending like we, we think this is just a tragedy, but secretly the people who can't stand Alec Baldwin are like, finally he's getting what he deserves, you know, and, and then the people uh, who, who love Alec Baldwin are like, oh, this is just, this is awful. And, and what's sad is that in, in, in the midst of all this, we, we, we miss the victims, right? We, don't, we barely have a thought for the people who get hurt. Uh, this is no different in Christian in the world of the church. Uh, everybody loves, it's, it's juicy, it's salacious when like a, a famous leader guy, you know, does something awful and ruins his ministry and there's a total collapse of his church. There's a podcast right now about uh, Mark Driscoll, um, who was the pastor of Mars Hill in Seattle. It's very famous and people, it, the whole podcast is about how the whole thing melted down and, uh, and, and it's compelling. It's interesting. It's fascinating. And the reason it's fascinating is why. Because, you know, these people, they, they, they're, they're famous. They, they have this incredible rise to, to success and power. And they're doing all these amazing things. And then there's this huge crash. And it's just like, man, I mean, that's news. David is going to crash today. And we're following this, we're, we're learning from this because it's a cautionary tale. And I think we're going to be able to look, if we pay a cl- uh, careful attention to the text, we're going to see what went wrong. And hopefully we're going to be able to draw some lessons about how we can avoid making the same mistakes. And on top of that, I think we're going to see that what, we're, what we experience, we, we, we are David in some ways. And there is something very important about that. So let's, let's start out, this is 2 Samuel 11 um, here it goes. In the spring, when kings go off to war, uh, if you're following in your uh, phone Bible or the Pew Bible, I have up here the CEB. It's a, I think it's a great translation. So it'll be a little bit different, but uh, you can follow along. Also, I'm going to skip some text and you can see what I'm skipping. In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, that's like his best general, along with his servants and all the Israelites, and they destroyed the Ammonites, attacking the city of Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his couch and was pacing back and forth on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And she was very beautiful. David sent someone and inquired about the woman. Uh, The report came back, this is Eliam's daughter Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uh, There's nothing... nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong here. No, no one's done anything wrong. Uh, it was very common to, that's where bathing took place, is on the roof of your building. 
Uh, and so she was perfectly right to be doing that. We're going to learn in a second that she's, she's doing a, a ritual purification, the, the mikveh. She, uh, in, ancient, in the ancient world, um, especially in Israel, when, you, uh, when women went through menstruation or if men uh, ejaculated, it was, it was a cause for um, uncleanness. And so there was a ritual to purify you from that. And that's what, that's what she's doing. Uh, and David's not really doing anything wrong either. He's, you know, he's, maybe he's a little, it says he's pacing around. Maybe he's a little bit worried about how his army's doing or something like that. But, you know, he's got the palace and so he's up at the top. And there's a reason for that. It's because symbolically and literally he's supposed to have his eyes on the people. He's, he's watching to make sure that everything's okay in Israel. And things get really okay when he sees this lady. And then he finds out that she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Um, this may be important because uh, the Hittites would have been looked down on in Israel, sort of uh, the way that um, maybe uh, there's been races in the past in our country where, you know, in like the 1950s, the way that uh, some people, some white people may have looked at, at, at some African-American people were sort of like second-class citizens because uh, they came from wherever. You're, the Hittites were an enemy of Israel, and so there might have been a little bit, David's like, oh, just, oh, it's just a Hittite, just Uriah? Oh, okay, well, then, you know, maybe I can do something. There's nothing, nothing wrong here, but, but it's, boy, you can tell what's about to happen, right? And, and it's different, like if it had been Bathsheba, Queen Bathsheba looking down at David taking a bath, and she saw him to be handsome, no one would think anything was going to happen because men are way more visual than women. Uh, but we've heard, and we're worried here, we're starting to get worried. Uh, in the before times, BC, before COVID-19, uh, 2 BC, uh, there was a, uh, I remember it being very important to, uh, to avoid other illnesses. One of the things I've enjoyed about COVID-19 is I haven't been sick for two years. It's been awesome. Uh, all the other diseases have disappeared, which is, it's amazing. It's cool. I'm not kidding you either. Like, all I've had, like, in the last two years is, like, one slight minor cold. It's been phenomenal. Um, and I'm not going to say I want COVID to never end because I do, but I have enjoyed uh, this great health. I, not the case. Uh, before COVID-19, I would get sick, you know, probably three times a year, get three colds. And uh, my buddy Jared, he's a hypochondriac, uh, and so years ago, he, he came up with a solution for me. It's called emergency. Have you seen this? Emergency. Uh, it's, just, it's just pure vitamin C. And he, he came up to me one, uh, once, several years back, I'd been sick, and he was like, dude, you've got to try this stuff. Like, it, it's amazing. What you do is, is, as soon as you feel that little tickle in the back of your throat, like that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like that little scratch... Right back there. As soon as you feel that, you pound this stuff three times a day. Thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin C. And you also drink a, a, a lot of espresso. And it'll, it'll flush your system. I'm not kidding. He did this. He does this. He, uh, he, it'll flush your system and you won't get sick. It's like, man, that's amazing. I'm like, this is working for you? He's like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's like, uh, I get a tickle in my throat probably three, four times a week. And so I just pound this immersion, and I haven't been sick in months. I was like, hmm. I didn't have the heart to tell him that uh, this is all nonsense. And if you guys believe in emergency, I'm sorry, but you've been fooled. It's, it's not bad for you. Like, I mean, I guess vitamin C can't hurt you. In fact, I found out that, because uh, I, was, I was worried about my friend, I was like, geez, I hope he doesn't, you know, overdose on vitamin C. Turns out you can have as much as you want. You just, you'll pee it right out. So you can, you can have as much emergency as you like. It's good for you. Um, but that little tickle in the back of your throat, right? It's, it's that moment where, like, things could go one way or they could go the other. It might just be that it's the dry weather here in Southern California. 
and you snored a lot last night, and you kind of, and it might just be, or it might be that something bad's about to happen. This is the interesting thing about sin. Sin, it, it always starts small. It's always left a little tickle, and it, and it doesn't have to go bad. Sometimes, sometimes you, you just, you know, it's possible David's looking, and the report comes back at so-and-so, and he's like, oh, okay, I can't, I don't want to mess with her, sure, sure. Uh, you know, it, it, it could go either way, but it starts small. Very few people graduate from, you know, uh, doing nothing to, like, destroying their entire life in, in, in one day. That's not how humans operate. It starts, it starts tiny. So what does David do next? Well, he, t- he, he makes a bad choice. Let's, let's go on in the text. So David sent messengers to take her. When she came to him, he had sex with her. Now she'd been purifying herself after her monthly period. Uh, we just talked about that, and I'll mention more in a second. Then she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, I'm pregnant, she says. Notice all of the verbs here. This lady's not doing anything. Okay? Bathsheba, as far as we can tell, there's no, there's no point in this text where it seems like she's encouraging David or even really doing anything other than kind of going along with what he's commanding her, right? Um, and, and it very well may be, from our perspective, this would constitute something like rape. Uh, because, he, and, and it's different in the ancient world, in the ancient world is obviously power disparities are much different, and you kind of do what the king tells you to do. David's had a really successful career, he's a great king, everybody loves him, she may be just starstruck, like, wow, I can't believe he loves me. He's also kind of like around middle age right now, he's, you know, so, he, and, and she's, she's a very young, beautiful girl, and so he's, you know, he, and so he's kind of, well, everybody loves, you know, David because I did so many great things. Of course she wants to be with me, and that's probably what he tells himself. But, wow, what a, what a move here. Uh, she'd been purifying herself after her monthly period. Uh, that's interesting because we know, um, we don't know as well anymore because um, very few women now practice the rhythm method of, of contraception, right? But in the ancient world, they didn't have contraception. And really, we didn't either until like about 100 years ago. So isn't it weird that for like, you know, 6,000 years of culture, uh, humans did a certain way of preventing children. And only in the last 100 years have we changed that. Uh, That might have some very significant impact on how we live and think. But whatever. Uh, And and in the ancient world, so what would happen? So according to Levitical law, once you began bleeding during your period, uh, you had to wait until the bleeding stopped and then wait seven more days. And then after seven days, you would take this ritual bath, and you would be okay again, ready again to have uh, sex with your husband um, after that time had passed. But if you're paying attention to rhythm calendars, and uh, for those of you who may have grown up Catholic, you'll know this, um, that's like prime time if you want to have kids. It's because uh, you've waited till your period's over. You wait six, uh, seven more days. And then you've done, you are like in that two week period where pregnancy is really, really likely. So what David is doing is very, very much like rolling the dice here. He is not, uh, he, he's like, I'm the, I'm the guy, uh, nothing can stop me. I've had such incredible success. How could anything possibly go wrong? And, and, and you're, and you're sitting here and you're like, David, are you insane, man? You know she's married. From the outside, every one of us can look at David and be like, come on, you idiot. Don't do this. No good can come of this. That's the thing about sin. 
A lot of you guys, you have nice cars. I respect that. I think that's cool. I'm not really into cars. The only reason I would get a Tesla is because I don't want to pay attention when I'm driving. Uh, most of the time when I'm driving, I'm looking at my phone on the freeway to like read articles and stuff. And so I think it would be really nice if I had a Tesla that would drive for me. It would be a lot safer. Um, but that's the only thing I care about, cars, right? What I really care about is TVs. That's my thing. I love televisions. And uh, so every two years, like, I, I, I buy a TV, and I put it on a, on a credit card. Like, it's two years, same as cash. And, uh, and so I got a great TV. It's 77 inches, and it's 4K, and it's HDR. It's pretty rad. Um, and I, I love it so much. But then this week, Bill told me that he's going to get a better TV than I have. And, and so I was so content until, was it Wednesday? On Wednesday, we're having, we're having brunch or something, and he's like, hey, Tom, guess what? I'm going to get the, uh, the, the, this is the key, the LG OLED. And I pretended like I was happy for him. <laughs> oh, that's great, Bill. Cool. And I was like, man, those, those OLEDs, they have perfect blacks. Oh my gosh, the luminosity and, the, and, the, and the, the one he's getting has a true 120 hertz refresh rate. So it minimizes to motion blur to almost nothing. I mean, ah! And so then I'm thinking, I'm thinking well, I know my TV is going to be paid off here in this month or next month. Why shouldn't I have it? Why shouldn't I have the OLED 77-inch? I, I, I work, like, two days a week. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm a decent human being. How, how is it that he is going to have the, the perfect picture and I'm not? So I'm thinking, my electric bill is only $800 this month. Like, if I just, I mean, we can make this work, right? I, just, I don't want to tell my wife, though. Uh, if she, th- thankfully, she's preparing for the women's coffee, so she's not hearing this plan. God be praised. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, yes, I, 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 if, I, if I just move this and do this. Like, and, and every one of you is looking at me being, don't do that. That's stupid. It's not even any bigger. It just has better blacks. Like, is it really worth it? Yes. Yes, it is. And my wife will never know. Same size, Right? She can be at work doing whatever she is with the kids. I can have them come in, switch them out. She'll never be the wiser. Isn't that that crazy how that works, right? And now for you, it's different because you don't care about TVs. Uh, Whatever it is that you care about, that's the thing. Um, But it's amazing how how we we can convince ourselves this is right, this is good. And then we convince ourselves the next thing. I can get away with it. Right? That's what David's doing. He's like, I can get away with this. It's just one time. What are the chances? Right? Remember, he sends her back home. He's like, not good, David. You always think you can get away with it. Starts small, little tickle in the back of your throat, a little itching of the eyes to get that brand new television. And then you come up with a plan because, gosh darn it, you deserve it. And, and there's a way that you can make it happen, and, and, and no one's going to know. Well, David's got a problem now because, uh, because Bathsheba's pregnant. So what, what's he going to do? Let's check it out. 
So David sends a message to Joab, send me her husband, Uriah the Hittite, who's on the front lines fighting right now, right? So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked about the welfare of Joab, the army, how the battle's going. He's like, it's not weird that I pulled you off of the, 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 the front lines, even though you're just a random soldier. Tell me how things are going. This is, this is really normal. You're like this. And then David uh, tells Uriah, hey, you've had a rough time. Go, go down to your house and wash your feet. This is a euphemism um, in, in Hebrew. Uh, what he means is go home and be with your wife. Uh, because, you know, you, you washing your feet means you, you clean yourself up. You've been grimy. And then you're going to present yourself to your wife. And she's, gonna, she's missed you. And so go and, you know, do your thing. Uriah left the palace. A gift from the king is sent after him to make sure that he goes home. It's following him. Unfortunately for David, Uriah slept at the palace entrance with all of David's servants. He didn't go to his own house. Okay. He's a good guy, we can, but we can work with this. Don't, David's still got, got a chance here. David's told, Uriah didn't go down to his own house. David asked Uriah, haven't you returned from a journey? Why didn't you go home? The chest, that's the Ark of the Covenant. That's uh, in Indiana Jones, the box that, that murders Nazis. Um, that was, uh, it contains um, the, the Ten Commandments, possibly the bones of Moses. There's lots of tradition about that. But uh, the Ark of the Covenant, it's, it's the sign of, of God's word and power. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, Israel, Judah, were all living in tents, Uriah says. And my master Joab, the master general, and my master, your troops, are camping in the open fields. They're living, they're going through it right now. How can I go home and eat and drink and have sex with my wife? I swear on your very life, King David, I will not do that. Here's the moment where David should be cut to the heart, right? All these guys living so hard, doing his bidding, trying to take out the Ammonites. And this one faithful soldier comes back and he's like, how could, I, how could I just enjoy all the good things of life while my brothers are out there on the field? Maybe David should think, why, why should I be enjoying your wife while you're out on the field? But he doesn't think that. Instead, David doubles down because that's what men do. Then David told Uriah, stay here one more day. Tomorrow I'll send you back. Uriah stays in Jerusalem that day. The next day David called for him and he ate and drank and David got him drunk. Again, notice all the verbs. It's not as though Uriah is like, oh boy, I can't wait to get wasted. Actually, David's probably pressuring him into this. Um, <clears throat> if you've been in an honor-shame culture, you know how this works. I lived in Japan and my boss, uh, sometimes we would throw these company parties, right? And then everyone would uh, get sake, right? And, uh, and so then... You know, everyone had the sake, and he would say, Nonde kudasai, meaning drink, please. And so everyone would lift their glass, and you'd drink, and then and you couldn't say no, right? Because that would be disrespecting him. He's like above you. And so all the, the, the ladies at the parties who didn't want to get wasted, what they would have to do is like, they would secretly fill up their sake cups with water. So he's like, Nonde kudasai, Nonde kudasai, Kampai, kampai. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's a total mess, total disaster. But they can't say no, is the point. Culturally, it's unacceptable. And so Uriah is like, well, I'm going to have to go back to the front. I really don't want to be hung over, but okay, David, if, if you are telling me i got to do this, all right, fair enough. And David's hoping that the alcohol is going to lower his inhibitions and get him to the place where he's ready to make some fun decisions. It doesn't work. In the evening, Uriah went out to sleep in the same place, along with David's servants. He did not go to his own home. 
David, because he's a man after God's own heart, says, well, I tried hard and uh, it didn't work, so I'm just going to have to fess up. And so the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. He sends the letter with Uriah, who's not allowed to read it. He writes in the letter, place Uriah at the front of the fiercest battle and then pull back from him so that he will be struck down and die. Started with that little itch in the back of the throat. And now we're up to murder. That escalated fast. Some of you here are uh, vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians. I have a picture of a vegan plate. I mean, I like vegetables, but wow. I don't even know what those little brown, like, what are those? Do you guys know? Those little brown circles on the bottom left? What is that? Quinoa? That's not a real thing. (laughs) Quinoa. Mm -hmm. So whatever that is, uh, there's that. And then there's a cucumber, awful. Garbanzo beans, terrible. Kale. (laughs) What? I think my mom sent me the meme where it's like, be sure to uh, use like certain type of oil when you're cooking kale. It makes it easier to scrape off into the garbage. <laughs> it's important now because we have these new uh, canisters where you can't put food in the trash anymore. If you do, they're going to find you. Maybe not you, but that's me. So now I have to compost my food um, before it. I don't know why, but I think I'm saving the environment, which is great. Uh, radishes, no, I like radishes. Carrots, yeah, okay. Um, and that's, is that a beet up there? I go with beets. I, I, I'm not anti-vegetable, but um, I have a friend, uh, Michelle. Uh, her brother, uh, Mike, is uh, one of the guys, he's the guy that I help, we write sermons together, and he was telling me this story about Michelle. She, she hates vegetables with a passion, and she grew up in the house, in a Midwestern home where it's like, you know, you have a piece of meat of some kind, some kind of potato, and then some sort of vegetable, you know, usually like string beans, broccoli, that sort of thing. And she hated vegetables, couldn't stand it. And so uh, it was always like a fight, and she was constantly getting uh, grounded because she wasn't, you know, eating her vegetables, and she was fighting. And so one day, she had a brilliant idea. Um, she noticed that the family's uh, the plates were kind of like the one you see in that, in that, in that uh, picture where they kind of lipped up at the top and so there was like a space. And so what she would do is she would wait till um, everyone else is in conversation and then she would take one of her string beans and just slide it uh, uh, underneath the, the side, side of the plate. And then if she did it really well, she could actually just get a whole circle of beans around underneath the plate and, and not have to eat any of them. And, uh, and, and the rest of her family was, you know, yelling at each other, whatever it is that people do. And, and, they, and then finally her mom's like, whoa, Michelle, did, did you eat all your vegetables? He's like, oh, yeah. Mom, I was wrong. String beans are amazing. Especially when you boil them so, so long that they become, like, sloppy and, and flaccid. I, I, I was wrong. I, I don't know what I've been thinking. I love this. Mom's like, wow, that's really great. I'm so, so proud of you, honey. And uh, so then the next day, uh, so what she has to do then is she has to wait. She has to slow walk the potatoes and the meat to make sure that everyone else has left the table before she cleans up so she can. So she does it a second day. Her mom's like, Michelle, you've turned over a new leaf. This is incredible. Broccoli is a little more difficult, but since it's so soaked in that house, you know, you can, you can mold it so you can get it underneath the, the plate. 
one day, two days, three days, a week she's doing this. She hasn't had a vegetable now in a month. And she slips up. She has to go to the bathroom. May I be excused? She leaves. Her mom picks up her plate and sees a circle of lima beans. She comes back. Michelle, what's this? Crop circles. Aliens. I don't know. I don't know how they got there. Michelle, how long has it been since you've eaten a vegetable? Nailing, uh, wailing, gnashing of teeth. An insane grounding. Back in the day, we didn't have the phones, but phone taken away, Evie. Yeah, that would be the equivalent of that. An absolute disaster. If, if only Michelle had just said the first, did you eat your, did you eat your vegetables? Yeah, I did. Instead, she's like, no, I didn't. I... It's so crazy how, like, when, once you start down the path of covering up, like, you dig yourself deeper and deeper and deeper, and at a certain point, you have to come up for air and realize, wow, the cover-up's worse than the crime. Imagine if, if, if David had looked Uriah in, in the eyes and said, listen, man, I did wrong by you. I don't know how that would have handled that. I don't know what the law of Israel says about a situation like that. But, but imagine that, that he'd stopped short and he'd confessed and he'd gotten off the train and, and, and stopped going that way. If he'd just said, man, I got I to gotta level with you. Instead, David's convinced still that he can get away with it. And that's the way sin works, right? It starts out as a little tickle, then you think you can get away with it, then you start to have to cover it up, right? And you think, if I, if I just cover it up long enough, I can get scot-free, I'll be okay. It, no one will find out, it'll be fine. Well, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. And the farther you go, the more damage you're going to start heaping up for yourself and the people around you. Except, in this case, David did get away with it. Look at what, this is the end, of, the end of the chapter. Listen to this. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband Uriah was dead, she mourned for her husband. After the time of mourning was over, David sent for her. Again, all David brought her back to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. Yes! All I had to do was kill that guy. Now I'm good. Remember how this got started, right? David, David's got, supposed to have his eyes on the people, right? He's up at the top of the palace. He's on his roof. He's, he's got his eyes on everyone in Jerusalem. He's, he's looking for things. Well, you know what? In heaven, in heaven, God's got his eyes on David, and he's been watching this whole thing. And, and, and even though David has somehow managed to pull it off, Joab keeps the secret. Uriah gets killed at the front. David waits the appropriate amount of time to bring his widow to be his wife. But what David had done was evil in the Lord's eyes. The fact of the matter is, and, and you know, this is the next thing in, in your note sheet, is that God's always watching. And there are consequences. David thinks he got away with it. 
But what we're going to find out is that, is that he didn't. Um, and we'll talk about that in, in a moment. But, but just assuming that, that there are these consequences, and, and even if there weren't, right? Even if there weren't, there's a dude who's dead, right? There's a wife who's lost her husband. What, what, what could have happened? How, how, do we, how do we get off the sin train before we get on it? Like, what, what was, what's the real issue here? What, why, why, what could David have done differently? Well, I don't know if you noticed, but let's look at the, um, the very first verse of this chapter one more time. In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab along with his servants and the Israelites. But David remained in Jerusalem. See, there's an expectation for kings, and David has fulfilled it um, his entire life until today, until this, until this passage, where it's understood that, uh, that battle, armies go to war because different tribes want to eat, conquer each other's land. And, and it's the job of the king. The king, remember last week we said the job of the king is to do right by his people, right? You've got to do right by his people. Well, one of the th- ways that a king does right by his people is he leads his soldiers in combat, Right? That's their job. That's his job. Every spring, the reason it's the spring is because it's hard to fight in winter. And so if you start in spring, uh, you have a good chance of getting your campaign done before fall hits uh, when you need to harvest the crops. So that's like the time of war in the ancient world. And it's, it's customary, it's normal for the king to lead the troops. In fact, if you remember David, remember when he got started? Remember he, he goes and he kills Goliath. Well, whose armor was he offered? The king, Saul. Saul was a coward, and he wasn't willing to fight Goliath, but boy, he was with his men, because that's his job. He's got to do right by his people. David's had a lot of success in life. He's had a lot of wins. And he's gotten really comfortable with all the perks that come with being at the top. He likes the fact that he's got wives and concubines. He loves the money. He likes that he says this and people do it. He, and, and he's like, what, what, you know, do I really need to just go off and do I got this guy, Joab. He's a good fighter. What, why, can't, why can't I have all of the good things that come from being king without risking my life, without the inconveniences, without the worry? It's funny, uh, David gets up, right? He's pacing back and forth. Uh, I, I, my, my guess is the reason this is included is because I think um, David, is, he doesn't know what to do with himself, right? Uh, he, he's been a soldier his whole life. From, from the, the time that he's stopping a shepherd and, and started serving Israel, he has been in one bit of combat after the next. He's fought and killed so many people he doesn't know what to do with himself. And so now, for the very first time, he gets a spring off. And he's like, what do I do with myself? And, so he, and that's what leads to him seeing this hot, naked girl. I talk to a lot of you, and I, and I, I know that, um, especially, especially those of you who own businesses, there's always this, uh, or, or have owned businesses, there, there's always the dream, right? The dream is... You, uh, <clears throat> you, you start your business, and you get to a certain point, and then you hand over the reins to somebody else, and then you just reap the profits while you sit Mai Tais in Costa Rica. Right? That's the dream. 
Um, but I wonder if maybe that's not actually the dream. I wonder if maybe um, there's something that's, that's valuable. When, when God gives you a vocation, you know, to do business or, you know, raise a family or to do mission or to, um, to, to serve uh, the people of the church, you know, whatever God has called you to do, I wonder if, I wonder if we all get to this point where, you know, God's called you to do it, and so you start serving, right? And then it's blessed. It's amazing. Like, the Spirit moves with power, and you see incredible fruit. Lives are being changed. Your business is expanding and growing. You're, you're being promoted up through the ranks, uh, and, and you see your kids are, are thriving, and all these things are happening, and you're like, man, this is great. Boy, wh- oh, gosh, but do I really have to do all the hard stuff, too? Wouldn't it be nice if I could just... have all the joy of seeing this ministry thrive, see the fruits of someone else's labor without doing right by my people? I would say to all of us, I mean, I think we're in an exciting time in, in our church's life where we're just seeing lots of new connections and family and commitment. And really, I, I can't wait. Uh, we're going to do some baptisms soon. I've heard from some of you that uh, you want to uh, be baptized or uh, have kids who want to be baptized. Uh, I'll, I'll, get, I'll start contacting you this week. <clears throat> that stuff is so exciting. and I, I can't wait. I've seen a lot of you, you know, you, you, COVID almost, almost took you out. Uh, in work and stuff, but now things are starting to bounce back and they're thriving. Um, and, and, I, and I wonder, I, I worry that, we're, that we're, we get so ramped up with all these wins and success and hope and new life and all of that, that at a certain point we might begin to expect it. We might get used to it, might get to really like it so much that we, that we, we want to keep having it, but we don't want to, you know, do the, the right things by our people to keep it going. Well, what happens? Uh, so David, uh, Bathsheba gives birth, and um, David gets uh, outed by the prophet Nathan in the next chapter. Nathan comes and exposes David's sin to everybody, and then tells him that God's going to take your son. And so the son that was born, conceived in this illicit affair, uh, gets sick and dies. And David says, he says, God, no. Please, God, no. I'm so sorry. And God says, I know you're sorry, um, but I'm taking your kid anyway because God's real mean, right? God's a mean God. I can't believe God would do that. Why doesn't he just punish David? Why, 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 why punish his, his, his little baby son? Well, even though um, most of us probably haven't had someone killed, uh, we all have been on this train before where we've had the tickle in our throat. We think we can get away with it. We start trying to cover it up. And then disaster strikes. And then what ends up happening when disaster strikes is the fruit of our sin leads to some kind of death. It leads to somebody suffering. It leads to us being destroyed. It leads to our family being destroyed. It leads to the people around us being destroyed. In one way or another, we have all experienced this train. We've gone on this train. We've seen it happen. And God, the whole time, is watching and being like, Oh, 
David, you're the representative of Israel, and you do this, and then Israel follows you, and, and, you're, and you get caught up in these cycles of sin, uh, of wrongdoing that just create more and more awful things. And he's like, Israel, could you please come back on track? And Israel refuses. And then the whole world is caught up in all these cycles of sin and death and violence and, and, and shame and, 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 and failure. And God finally says, someone's got to pay for all this. And God finally says, this time it's not David's son. It's my son. David, there's nothing I'm asking of you that I am not going to give myself. And so Jesus enters the world and he represents Israel and represents the whole world before God. He takes on all of the cycles of sin, violence, and death, promising that when he's done, he's going to send his spirit who can, who can train wreck these things, who can, who can cut in and break these cycles. But it's going to cost him something. It's going to cost him his life on the cross. And what that means is, everybody here, either you've been through these cycles of sin, you're currently in the, the process of covering things up, or uh, it might happen to you in, in the future, but every single one of us has done the David thing. And God says, I know, and I want to get you out of this. And so I'm going to give the last son who has to die. My son. He's going to be the payment for what you've done. And if you believe in him for the forgiveness of sins, I will give you eternal life. If you trust him, I will wipe away all of these cycles and I will look at you as pure, as good, as right, as true. Maybe uh, you've never done that before. Maybe you've never believed that. Maybe you have no idea what to do with your sins. You look back and you realize there's just mountains and mountains of wrongdoing. You're in the middle of it and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to get out. Well, the Bible's answer to that is believe in Jesus for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Maybe you've done that before, and, and if you have, once you've done that, you're secure, you're sealed. But that doesn't mean that these cycles of sin don't train wreck us. And maybe you're in the middle of one, and you need to get out, to step out of it. And if you're honest with yourself, you know this is going on, and you're like, what do I do? Well, the first thing you do is repent and say, God, I'm on this train. I know it's heading to disaster, and I want to step off. Give me the power in your spirit to step off, to confess to someone I trust, to, to, to get back on the right path. So I'm going to pray uh, for us right now. And I, I'm going to pray these things. And uh, if you'd like to pray silently with me, you've, maybe you've never asked Jesus uh, for forgiveness or asked God for forgiveness through Christ, um, do it. Pray with me. And maybe, maybe you have, but you need, you need a restart and you need to make some changes then pray with me on that. Let's, let's pray to God together. Let's get out of these cycles of violence and sin. Gracious God and Father, we come to you as people who have been caught up, just like David. It started small, God. We thought we could get away with it. We've been covering it up as best we can. But we know you're watching. We know there's consequences. 
But God, we also know that just as you asked David to give his son, you gave your own son to be the final sacrifice, the final payment for all of these sins and wrongdoings we've occurred. And we, we say to you, God, we trust you. We trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for life eternal. To get a clean start, a fresh, a fresh run. To secure glory with you forever. Some of us, God, we, we're in that spot where we're just, we're caught up and we, we, we know we're supposed to get out. We've, we know that we're your children. We know that you love us. We know that you forgive us. But, but right now, God, we really need to, to, to make a change. So God, we, we repent of that thing that's caught us up. We commit to, to confessing to somebody we trust. We commit to accountability, to getting back onto the road of righteousness and holiness. Because we don't want to see the damage. We want you to wipe the slate clean again. We want to follow your son Jesus again. In his name we pray, amen.